welcome to Jollo Month Club. I'm your host, Diana. Welcome to the very first listener-picked episode. The film we'll be discussing today was picked by you, the listeners. On this episode, we will review Dario Argento's first solo-directed film, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Although Crystal Plumage is not the first Jollo film, it is credited for making the subgenre famous and starting a trend in cinema from 1970 to 1975. This film, much like many of Argento's other work, includes themes of perception and the unreliable eye. My guest today is someone who has been on the podcast many times. Welcome back to Jollo Month Club, Wade Brown. Hi. Hi there. You can't get rid of me. No, much I'm like stuck. COVID and quarantine, you're we're stuck. stuck. <laughs> you're stuck with me as a guest host. We're here to do another Argento film. This episode was a listener-picked film from Instagram. So I voted. We had two polls going on for four different films, and of those two, they did a battle royale situation. You, you had a bracket tournament. Kind yeah, of this came out on top. And I'm super excited to talk about this film. As you know, I'm a huge Dario Argento fan, and I think that it's a very interesting film to talk about since it is one of the first Jalo films ever. Yeah. Wade, have you been watching anything fun or interesting <clears throat> since you've been self-isolating? You know, the self-isolating, I've mostly been watching shows and movies for some reason, because it's one of those things like, I never had the time to binge things. Same. It's always to watch a movie or something like that. Times where I can binge whole series that I've been saying... And I'll, I can gladly say I'm kind of watching three different shows. Because sometimes you need a palate cleanser on some. The main one is Lost. I am on the fourth season, yeah. Right. The but show, it's definitely one that you can only watch maybe three episodes at a time before you need to watch something a little bit lighter yeah. or a little bit less complicated. So I've been kind of dealing with that. As a palate cleanser, I've been re-watching Cowboy Bebop. It's okay. On, it's on Hulu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I recently upgraded to Hulu No Ads, and it's a whole new world. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Cowboy Bebop, because we watched a movie on Friday during the last drive-in. <clears throat> yes, the, the two movies this week were Brain Damage by Frank Hellenlotter. It's surprising, I like Frank Hellenlotter, but I never seen Brain Damage till Friday. Right, first time and, doing for me, too. And then we're like, okay, the theme was like... Teen idols. Teen idols who aren't famous for yeah. being in horror films. And Brain Damage was a uh, soap opera star was in it. So we're like, it's Tammy the T-Rex. Paul Walker yeah. was in... The Young and the Restless, Young I think? and the Restless, yeah. But it was Deep Red. I don't know what the I think David Hemmons may have been like yeah, a he soap was in, star or he something. he was in Blow Up. That's what it was. Right. Yeah. One of the characters in Deep Red, Carlo's boyfriend's is dressed just like yes. a character from Cowboy Bebop. Spike Spiegel. Yes. yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's full circle there. Deep Red, Million Time Watch. I had a blast live tweeting about this film. Yeah. So it was really fun to tweet along with people that have not seen the movie. Yeah, we both live tweet on our solo accounts, our individual yeah, our accounts. accounts. And I'll say, it's one of the funnest things. Last thing I've been watching, this comedian Christopher Titus has been feuding with some comedian that's not really famous. But turns out, Christopher <laughs> Titus on his YouTube channel has made his entire sitcom show, I think the first two seasons of his sitcom from the early 2000s, available online for free on YouTube. It's the one that's called Titus? Titus, yes. The DVDs, I sold, I had the whole series and I sold them because, you know, I was working retail and I needed the money to buy more movies. <laughs> uh, those DVD sets went out of print and now they're going for like a hundred bucks. Yeah. I caught up on Supernatural. My friend Heather was on the Messiah of Evil episode, and she had been binging Supernatural. Okay, why not? Now I have all this time on my hands, so I watched like four or five seasons, and they're long seasons. They're 20-some episodes per season. They're CW shows. Yeah, so I'm I'm caught up. I'm in the final season. There are a few episodes that have not been released yet because they were filming in the middle of COVID, so they haven't finished filming. They just want to draw it out. But I will be catching up when they are released. So that was the big one. And then I caught up on Preacher. Yes. Which is a show that I really enjoyed. It's four seasons. I had watched the first two seasons live. I started watching the third season and then I don't know what happened. I just got busy or the schedule we changed were, or something. We were kind of watching it together. AMC was airing on Mondays, which is like, you couldn't have aired it on a different day, not on Monday. Wrestling's on Monday! Anyway, so yeah, I, I haven't caught up on Preacher, but the first two seasons are, and this comic book series yeah. is... The third season is particularly good. 
better than the second season, definitely. It's a different ending than the comics, but I do like the ending that they went with of the show, and I am a big fan of the actor that plays Cassidy, and I think he got a good, and you know what? good ending. About the comic book stuff, like how it's... It's not like the comics. Just read the comic. The TV show should be different. Yeah. It makes it... Oh, I was not expecting that. I mean, it's very brutal, bloody, mean-spirited at times. The best... It's a crazy watch for it being on cable. The best season was... Uh, the best episode was like when they were fighting the hotel room. Yeah, that was a bloodbath. Oh, episode. I mean, there are multiple episodes where there's rooms that are covered top to bottom in blood. There's characters that are covered top to bottom in blood. I would very you, much suggest you. You, call, you told me that All Father's in it, and All Father is an interesting character in the comic. I'm glad he's in this one. Yeah, there are so <clears throat> many characters that they they bring over from the comic. I'm a big fan of that show. I didn't watch it the last two seasons live and I didn't hear a ton about it but I think it ended at the right point yeah yeah as far as movies I have watched Death Proof nice recently. It's, I think it's the best the better Grindhouse movie right and I watched it because the stunt woman Zoe Bell Zoe Bell from many genre films and action films and she's awesome she put out that really cool montage of just a bunch of women just kicking ass yeah it started as the stunt people were out of work and they did it and then the females did it and then Chris Jericho did it like it's just becoming a big thing and I love it yeah it's just this really it's like kind of like a TikTok yeah. Video or like a Vine video yeah. where it's just a bunch of different actresses and stunt women doing crazy stunts and it's all montaged together and it's so freaking cool. So I wanted to watch Death Proof because that movie ends with a bunch of badass women, including Zoe Bell, kicking ass. And one of the best car chases. I, I mean, I, lo I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's one, it's of, the best one of my car favorite. Chases, yeah. I mean, people, when they rank Quentin Tarantino films, they put it pretty low, but I don't. I put it very high. This is another Jalo-related fact that it features Ennio Morricone's unexpected violence, yeah. which is in this film. Yes. So they use that in a scene where Kurt Russell is taking pictures of the girls. I didn't even plan. I didn't even put that together when I was watching it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like great to talk about on this episode. Yeah. I just happened to watch it. On a non-horror or genre-related note, there's this new Netflix improv show it's three episodes i'm glad you're talking about this middle ditch and schwartz oh my god the funniest thing i've seen you're in like you gotta time. watch middle, middle ditch and schwartz so i watched dream job the frills the first episode i watched and i was dying crying dying yeah <clears> for <throat> anyone that hasn't seen it yet it is thomas middle ditch and ben schwartz who are comedians and they did a few live stand-up shows where it's improv and they ask the audience a question an audience member responds with an event that they're dreading or not looking forward to and then Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz just run with it and they create a story based on the answer to this question yeah and it is so funny three episodes you can find it on Netflix Middleditch and Schwartz and I also finished Parks and Rec John oh, Rothiel. John yeah. So much has happened since I was on the show, which yeah. was a month ago. <laughs> it's been a <laughs> whole month. It's been a long month. I mean, like, <clears throat> like you said, there's so much time in the day, and I had a birthday. So it was so we much. We did have a birthday. It was so much Happy weird. Happy belated. Stuff. So let's talk about this movie. I think Dario Argento's *The Bird with a Crystal Plumage*. We will just probably call it *Crystal Plumage* because it's a long title. *The Bird*. *The Bird*. Da D A Bird. <laughs> it's his first movie, but also it's the first. Of the animal trilogy that people talk about. Yeah, it is. So <laughs> after this film, there was The Cat O' Nine Tails and Four Flies on Grey Velvet. This one is about a struggling writer who witnesses a brutal but non-fatal attack on a woman in an art gallery, which looks super cool, and we'll talk about that in, in a bit. Since he is now a key witness to what may have been an attempted murder by a serial killer, he is restricted from traveling back to America with his girlfriend. Straight just take his passport. Yeah, and he falls for it. it. <clears throat> like, you never just give a stranger your passport, especially someone of the law. What's, what do you think he's going to do with the passport? Right. What do you think? He puts it in the drawer. Instead of going back to America, since he is playing detective now and more women turn up dead, he finds himself drawn into the investigation as he desperately tries to recall a missing detail from that night. 
A lot of this film is about him not being able to remember exactly what happened that night. There's a lot of flashbacks and a lot of confusion, and I think that is a standout theme for this episode when it comes to perception and the unreliable eye. This movie is also loosely based on a novel. Frederick Brown's, no relation, a 1949 pulp novel, The Screaming Mimi. Dario Argento sort of adds multiple layers to it as far as like mistaking identity and mistaken motives because again perception and the unreliable eye or the unreliable narrator this movie really starts out really quick i'll say sometimes it takes a while like after like i don't know 10 pages sometimes then you'll start getting a clear idea what the movie is oh no this is the first four minutes so i think the pacing of this movie is really well done i think it's more well done than deep red but i think deep red also had that whole weird thing about the little girl. Yeah, it was a little bit more outlandish. Yeah. In order to get from point A to point B, Argento put some <clears throat> crazy aspects And I don't want to talk about Deep Red, but I think Deep Red, I think he was kind of getting tired of doing just the murder mystery. That's why afterwards he did Suspiria. The weirdness start bleeding into the next movie, but this is like straight up murder mystery. There's no weird girl that stabs lizards. And the script for The Crystal Plumage was written in five days, and the movie ended up being a huge hit in Italy, and it played in a Milan cinema for three and a half years. Like, can Jeez. you imagine a movie being so popular that they play it Avatar. for years? Avatar does that, doesn't it? Don't they? The screenplay was written in collaboration with Aldo Lotto, yeah. who was the director of Short Night of Glass Dolls, which we reviewed. It, it was one of the first films that we reviewed on the podcast. I'm seeing so many connections to everything. As far as where to watch this film, I watched it on an Arrow Video Blu-ray. I watched it on... It's uh, a Blue Underground. I believe yours was a Blue Underground. Blue Underground. The, it's, the red, it's a red cover. It's, it's the DVD. The cast of this film was pretty much unknown to me. I didn't recognize any of their faces. The main character, who's the struggling writer, is Tony Masante. Tony and Dario had met on a previous film, and apparently they were friends, but then after the movie started filming, Tony just became a real pain in the ass, and he would come to Dario's apartment in the middle of the night. Dario just does not talk about Tony in the best light <laughs> when he's it comes kinda, to this film. I mean, kinda, he just says like he's like annoying and full of himself, but when <clears throat> Tony talks about his experience on the film, he talks about it like it was a great experience. Yeah. When I saw Tony Masante, I thought that he looked like Ted Bundy, the serial killer. <laughs> and then we have Susie Kendall as Julia, who is Sam's girlfriend. And I like her. She says, isn't it silly to be running around playing detective? I'm like, yes, girl. You tell him. But he just goes off. He's an American writer. It's classic American. Classic. Movie. Classic American movie. <laughs> In the beginning, Sam's character runs into Inspector Morosini, who is the cop who comes to the art gallery after the first attempt at murder, who is played by Enrico Salarno. He has the most subtle mustache I've ever seen. It's like holding on by a thread. <laughs> like it's there. Is it real? But it's not there. <laughs> Very subtle mustache for the inspector. Eva Renzi plays Monica Renyari, who is the woman in the art gallery who gets attacked in the very beginning. Eva Renzi considered participation in this movie as career suicide. I don't think so. I don't think it was a bad movie to be in. I think she did fine in it. I don't think the women in this film had a lot to work with. They weren't in a lot of scenes, so maybe that's why she... Maybe she didn't get any parts after this movie. So she says, this, this is the reason... Maybe you just didn't get any parts. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, but... I didn't know she thought... I thought she was fine in this movie. And then we have Alberto Regnari is played by Umberto Rael, who is Monica's husband. He is the owner of the art gallery. Yes. And he looks it. He does look it. And he kind of looks like Anthony Perkins a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Like when he's a little older, when he's doing like Psycho 3 and stuff like that. Yeah. Like older Anthony Perkins. Yeah, I agree. Then we just have a couple of random folks that come in and out of the film. Like we have Carlo Dover, who is played by Renato Romano, who ends up being friends with Sam and Julia. We have Monty. And you have Tom Savini in, in the prison. 
as so long. Yeah. Who is not a pimp? Because does he look he's, like a pimp? He does do, not do look, I, like do, look, look, look like a pimp. <laughs> Classic Argento, where you just add these crazy cast of characters that you would not see in any other movies. Like you get the stuttering, not a pimp. Yeah. You get the artist who's up in the tower who <clears throat> eats cats. Yeah. I hate that. I hated that scene. He is a weird you know caveman. Yeah, he definitely had a caveman quality about him. And also that weird uh, cleaning lady that was singing a song about Mrs. Johnson. What? <laughs> singing a song or screaming a song? She was <laughs> she was singing, but... Our main <clears throat> cast of characters is Sam, who is the main protagonist, Julia, who's Sam's girlfriend, Inspector Morosini, who is the cop, then we have Monica and Alberto from the art gallery, and Carlo, who is friends with Sam and Julia. And there's two detectives that are always following them. That we don't know their names. Right. Ever. There was a they pretty... They saved your life, and we can't know their names. Yeah, there's a pretty extensive cast. And Yellow Jacket Man. That chases them in the car. Yeah, Yellow Jacket Man. I I wondered about that scene. Yeah. I wondered who he was. <laughs> I don't know. I had written down, like, was this Alberto? Like, was this the husband after the movie ended? I tried to put together the pieces, like, who maybe, was this guy? Maybe. Or maybe it just had nothing to do with... Are we going to go spoilers here? Yes. Spoiler okay. warning, everyone. If you have not seen the film, turn off the podcast and return after you have. Here we go. I think the art gallery has, like, like a secret underground gang, and I think they all wear yellow jackets. That's my theory. <laughs> and there's a hundred <clears throat> of them. Yeah basically a criminal empire i don't think that's true but i'm just it's it. my conspiracy theory <laughs> you can watch it on my conspiracy I theory youtube channel i don't think argento's films need any more conspiracy yeah this movie my only issue with the movie is i felt i mean i got an idea where we were going but sometimes it just kind of reared off the trail a little bit like like these people were getting killed off i feel like they were just getting killed off just to be killed that makes sense. Like, there's some kills in the middle of the movie. There's a lack of motive sometimes. And a lot of it's in Sam. Like, we just think, oh, he's just uh, a writer with creative, uh, with the with art, like, what's a creator block? It's yeah. writer's block. And it's just like, sometimes I'm like, why is he still doing this? Well, why do any of them keep doing Darryl it? Daniel Gentry really loves these eccentric artists doing stuff. We <laughs> talked about this on Deep Red, but this guy, this classic American way, he's just gonna... Slide in and be like, I'm going to solve this murder. One of the things I really liked about this film was the music. I mentioned in my What I've Been Watching, when I watched Death Proof, I noticed that Unexpected Violence, the theme of this film, the musical theme, by Ennio Morricone, and he is a super famous, very talented film composer. He worked on a bunch of spaghetti westerns. For this film, he actually freestyled the compositions with his bands. So they watched the film once it was finished and created the music based on it. So sometimes, I think there's like one or two parts where I think there was something that was cut and the music is a little bit off, but the music is great regardless. I mean, he did The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He did The Untouchables. The Hateful Eight. He did The Hateful Eight. Yeah, I remember sitting in the theater. It was one of the best things about that film was the music. I mean, it had that long, snowy plane just slowly. It's just there for the score. He literally filmed it purposely long just for the score. There's not much we can talk about him. It's just like, oh, it's him. It's Ennio. He's perfect. Yeah, he's infamous. And apparently, I didn't know this, he did the other two. He did the entire trilogy. The Animal Trilogy, yes. The score for this film, I really liked. I thought that it was, like, haunting and menacing, but playful at times. It was a little bit more light than typical Morricone, but it went with the film. Yes. Another thing I really liked about this, since it is one of the first Giallo films and Argento's first solo-directed film, he definitely had a vision. And I know that he storyboards all of his films. He's meticulous about the shots. And I think the cinematography is spot on for this. Mm-hmm. What I like about the cinematography, and I took notes, going, the cinematography is one of the things that really stood out to me. The camera is always changing. Or it's moving. Like, it's someone's walking. The camera's walking with it. Or if it's just a very steady, like, shot. Like when the investigator's talking to uh, Sam and Julia in that one like, ho- it looks like a hotel lobby. The camera's not moving, but it's constantly switching camera to camera to camera. It's constantly cutting. 
and uh, they also can go with the editor. The editor does some weird cuts with this too, very jarring. Like um, there's a scene where Sam is in that dark room and there's that dead body in the cupboard, like on the sh- like on the shelf above him. Right. Where he's lighting a match and he walks away and we do a straight cut to like this white sterile room where they're doing like the voice recognition machine and they're like why did we cut there? Sometimes they'll cut in the middle of a sentence. He'll finish a sentence and round the period they cut to a different scene. They do weird things to keep you on your edge. It feels a little off kilter at times, but they don't do it a lot. They do it sometimes. Yeah, I definitely noticed that. The director of photography, Bataro Storaro, this was his first film in color. And he went on to work on The Fifth Chord. Okay. Which is a Jalo film that we may or may not be reviewing on the podcast eventually. And he went on to win an Oscar for Apocalypse Now. Nice. Another thing I noticed in this film, there's no close, there's not, there is close ups, there's not many of them. A lot of dialogue scenes are medium shots, I realize. They're like not really tight on the face. It's very, oh, there's three people in this shot. When the investigator has the two detectives behind him, he's talking. Kind of like this medium shot. It's very interesting how it's like that. It also makes it seem that there's a lot of depth. You know, they start off walking far from the camera, so it seems it's more lively. One of the best shots in this entire film is the staircase. That cool triangle staircase. That's a great shot. Yeah, I love the symmetry of that one. That's like so the architecture. Good. Very cool. Yeah. But it's very close up when there's a murder scene. I, I think that's very interesting. It's very close up on the actual murder, like when he rips the dress. I think they want it to be more intimate. Yeah. That's what it's meant to be more intimate. And then I think that when it comes to those wide shots it's to make you feel like you're safe it's one person alone in the shot yeah like alone what? it's just alone in exteriors or interiors yeah. but it's just the one person and then when it comes to the kills they do close-ups of the glove close-ups of the stabbings close-ups of the blood the yeah, like face the, woman, the reactions like the woman that's in like cowering in a corner in that little tiny room and he has the the, the razor blades just just start stabbing Starts stabbing, and it's very, very, like, in your face. There's really, there was one little error, I noticed, that the audio cut out in one of the stabbings. Like, it's a... And she's screaming. But at one point, in one shot, there's no audio. Maybe it was just on my version? Yeah, I didn't notice that. It's probably on just the version I had. But it was really odd to me. There was one very fearless example of camera work. Someone falls out of a window. Yes. And the camera goes along with him. Oh, yes. That was a really cool, really good shot. Yeah. I, I love that. It was so stylistic. And they I just... I was scared. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I'm falling. They literally strapped a rope to the camera and just put it out the window with the stump person. And this is Dario's first film. It makes me think... I don't know why I'm thinking... Insurance he's very, will cover that. I'm very thinking why he's thinking so he's like an independent director that only has one camera. And that's all yeah. he has. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, insurance will cover it. They, they got it covered. <laughs> Probably my favorite scene in the movie is, <clears throat> I think this scene has the most tension, is when Julia is in the apartment and Sam's like, I gotta go. I'm gonna go do this. And he w- w- walks out and then the killer shows up. The eyeball through the door. Yes. That yeah. whole scene and she's trying to break through. There was one thing that the icon chuckled. Is after that scene... The lamp is still stuck in the window. Yeah. I thought that was was pretty (laughs) humorous. I noticed that too. It's a pretty cool apartment. Except he then decides, I'm going to put this weird person getting murdered painting. That painting. Yeah. We kind of glossed over the antique dealer. Sam ends up finding out about the three previous murders and he ends up going to this antique shop to investigate and he meets this very eccentric man. Oh yeah. I'm not saying she was a lesbian. I'm not uh, racist. I'm not racist. <laughs> he's very bourgeois. Oh my <clears throat> how he's gosh. talking. He's a character. This film is 96 minutes long. There are nine total kills or deaths, six on screen. And that equates to one on-screen death every 16 minutes or so. Yeah. Pretty good. The film opens with a short-haired brunette being stalked by a leather-glove-clad killer taking photos. It's about a minute long. You see this brunette walking alone. Classic creep move. Yeah. And then it quickly cuts to a newspaper that says three dead by a serial killer. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Three dead by serial killer. (laughs) Yeah. The first three deaths are not shown, but 
you see the newspaper, so that's how you know, oh, this killer has killed three people before. He's now officially a serial killer. Then we meet our protagonist, Sam, who is the struggling writer. Sam witnesses the attack of a woman in an art gallery by a mysterious black-gloved assailant dressed in a raincoat. Yes. There is a woman who is at the top of a staircase dressed in all white, killer dressed in all black. Classic good and evil. Struggling inside this building, and Sam can't get inside. Sam attempts to reach her, but he gets trapped in between two mechanically operated glass doors, and he can only watch as the villain makes their escape. This scene is very, to me, science fiction, futuristic looking. It's a you, really cool art you gallery. You see, see a lot of stills of like her reaching out, and it's like from her back. The camera's at her back. Her reaching out, and he's like kind of banging on the window, and it looks like it's a weird futuristic contamination cell. It's really cool looking. The art gallery is the most jarring thing in the movie. Everything else is kind of grounded, but the art gallery is very, like, bam. Right, very... and even the art inside of it. The woman, we find out her name is Monica. She is the wife of the art gallery owner, Alberto. She ends up surviving the attack, and the local police meet Sam, and they confiscate his passport I, so he can't leave. So I, he I did that. chuckle on one thing when they said, it's just a flesh wound. Made me think of uh, Holy Grail. It's like, tis just a flesh wound. <laughs> the killer is believed to be a serial killer who is killing young women across the city, and Sam is an important witness. Yes. So that's how he gets involved. He feels important, like an like a egocentric American. Four minutes in, that's when we have the first attempted kill in the art gallery. So basically... We get right in on it. We get leather gloves in the very beginning, the stalking of the short-haired brunette. We get the newspaper with the information, and then we get that first attempt at kill four minutes in. And we see Sam, that he's, he does want to be a hero, you know? want to aspire to be a hero, but he's willing to become the hero. Yeah. So you get everything in the first five minutes of what the movie's going to be. You get Sam and Carla talking uphill. Not gassed. They're not out of breath, but they're chatting. They're a bunch of chatting Cathy's. I love that you noted that, that them walking up the hill does not make them winded. Like, they're walking <laughs> uphill for, like, a good three minutes, just talking, nonstop talking about their lives, and you're like, how are you not out of breath? Maybe I'm just out of shape, but Carlo does not look like he's in shape. After Sam witnesses this attempted murder, there are a couple phone calls that happens where the killer calls him. There's a one point where, on the street, he's walking, and he gets attacked by the killer but then there's an old lady there that's yeah. like watch out and then the killer yeah. leaves and sam is unharmed almost gets run over he almost gets run over by a car he almost gets run over by a car before the attempted yeah. murder oh yeah in the, the very beginning the, the taxi, the taxi. Yeah. yeah yeah so there's always these close calls when it comes to him he's not very lucky yeah he's not bumbling like uh david henning was in deep oh, red He's not tripping over buckets or anything like that. He's not the most lucky kind of guy. I love... Also, I, I love how Julia's all down for this, and then she's like, nope, no one do this anymore. Right. <laughs> to talk about the last drive-in from Friday, I loved the commentary from pretty much everyone where they just hated David Hemming's character so much. Yeah. They were like, this guy sucks. Every time I watch he's it... He's such a jerk. <laughs> every time I watch Deep Red, I'm like, he's more and more of an, an ass. And then I'm like... Please listen to Jollo of the Month Club, where I call <laughs> out that yes, he is an ass. But we have to go back in time to to Bird of the Christmas. Sorry, the Bird, as I say. The first on-screen kill we have on the bed, super sexualized, very iconic. Gloves on the mouth, yeah. her eyes all wide, the sheer little teddy that she has on, super sexual. And just rips it with that uh, knife. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that murder. Boy. That's a great murder. <sighs> yeah. It is intense. not for her. But. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much for the person being murdered. But I really like that one, and that's a iconic one right there. The second one is one of the cops who was escorting Sam and Julia as they were walking down the road. He gets ran over by a car. So I don't really know if that counts as a kill, because I don't think that was the serial killer. They also did that. They also... I thought it was the guy with the yellow coat. Yeah, they also didn't... Because that's before that chase happened. Did happens. he officially die? I don't remember. Did they say that he died? It was right before the guy with the yellow coat was, like, shooting at him. I, I don't know who that was. That's... I wouldn't count that. I'm a little confused about that death. Yeah. Because I don't know if it was the killer or the guy That's who... what I'm saying. Like, at some point, it kind of loses, like, what's this movie? Right. Sometimes. 
Uh, the next one was the one that you mentioned, that really close-up straight razor death, where she's in, like, a closet or a hallway that, or something. That's what I'm saying. Who was she? It's where I feel like the killer kind of gets directionless at times. He wants to stop Sam, but he's also still killing people. He should kill Sam first, right? I'm not exactly sure who she was. I know that one of the first was someone that worked at the art gallery. Or not the art gallery, the antique shop. Pardon me. Sam ends up going to that antique shop, meeting that eccentric man, asked who had came into the shop, and the man said, oh, there was one person that came in and bought this painting and shows him a picture of it, and it's the painting that's like a creepy field or woods. It's like a snow field of someone getting murdered in the left corner. It's very asymmetrical. And that gets important as we discuss the end of the film, but I think all of the women that are being killed have something to do with either the antique shop or the art gallery. Or just establish them. She could be in the background of the right. art gallery. Man, we or the antique. She could be the clerk at the art t- the antique store. You yeah, know, things I, like that. I mean, one of them was. One of the murdered women was an employee of the antique shop. But maybe we missed something. Yeah, you know, I, only, I think I did. Guys, let us know, listeners, if uh, you know why some of these women were being murdered. Yeah. And then it comes to the man in the house. I believe it was Monty. I think so, too. Yeah. The man in the house. And he had, like, the needles in the house. And yeah, it's the yeah. shot where he's, like, jammed up inside of the like, the cabinet or yeah. whatever that is in that dark that, area. That scene was very weird to me because it's just, like, Sam just had a reaction. It wasn't, like, super terror. And it's never talked about again, really. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Sam starts receiving menacing phone calls from the killer. The police manage to tap his phone and isolate an odd cricketing noise in the backgrounds. They are able to find out that the noise that you hear is the sound of a rare bird from Siberia. And the bird is called... It's called the bird, the bird, with the crystal plumage. Yes, it is. Tile drop. Due to the shimmer of its feathers. The species that they call it, Hornatus navillus, it's not a real bird. The bird that is shown in the film is a gray crowned crane, which doesn't really have much shimmer to its feathers, but we'll let that slide. It's a fictional movie. It is. The glint of the feathers is important since it's one of the only kinds in Rome. So Sam and the police go to the zoo it reminds him of a house he was at earlier, which was Alberto and Monica's home. And there's nice, there's nice little thing he does where he throws the cigarettes in the beginning. There's a cigarettes at him and he catches it. Left-handed, yeah. I guess, yeah. That's that was like clever. A, that's important, but they don't make it... That was the most clever thing that Sam has done in the movie, I thought. Yeah, that was one of the smarter things. But then finding the bird is super important because that reminds him of when he went to Alberto's house. They go to the apartment. They find Monica struggling with her husband, Alberto, who has a knife in his hands. After a short struggle, Alberto falls out of a window to the concrete sidewalk below. And that's when we have that crazy camera shot where they throw the camera out of the window. As Alberto dies, he confesses to the murders and he tells Sam and the police that he loves his wife and that he is the one who is responsible. Exactly. But, dun dun dun. It's an it's a Argento Giallo film. It's, there's always a <laughs> but. After the confession and after Alberto dies from his fall, Sam realizes that Julia and Monica are missing. Sam goes to find them, eventually coming to a darkened building where he finds his friend Carlo murdered. Good job, Carl. You did a lot in this movie. <laughs> that was a huge red herring, though, because they had him sitting in the ch- in the chair with oh, the yeah. knife in his back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Huge red herring. Pretty surprising. Sam finds him. That's a bummer. And Julia is bound and gagged, so he doesn't know she's there, but she's struggling to get his attention. It's a very dark room, and out of the shadows... Who pops out of the shadows? Who pops out of the shadows is a vampire. No. Uh, it is... Monica, what? Yeah, with a power suit on. Oh yeah, <laughs> and all of a and sudden a she maniacal laugh. Oh boy, she stops like oh she probably had like a whole 
like monologue and she's like no i'm just gonna maniacally laugh screw yeah. it and yeah. she starts laughing acting like a crazy person and like oh and oh, then they she cut. is a crazy person oh and then they cut to the beginning it was yep. like the struggle was she was trying to stab him yep sam suddenly realizes that he didn't actually miss anything during that first attack yes he simply misinterpreted what was happening yeah man that was gut that punch. that's a twist yeah. And then he gets in more gut punch. A big spiky thing falls on him. The spiky Yeah, they ball. have a chase. They go into the art gallery. Pretty cool that their apartment is, or whatever building they were in at that time, was connected to the art gallery. Yeah. I'm still like, I can't get over the art gallery. I just love, it's like so white and it's yeah. shaped like a shipping container. I love that. Yeah. Monica was in that antique shop prior to all these murders happening. She sees that painting I believe she was assaulted when she was a child or when she was younger, and it triggered some repressed memory, which then made her... Want to stab her husband. Want to stab everyone, apparently. Her husband loved her. Yeah. He took up for her till the end. Yeah. Man. And did he help her? Because they said there was two voices in that recording. Huh. But maybe he was trying to cover up his wife. Because here's the thing. If he was really scared of his wife, he would have ratted her out immediately. It's like a, right. she's, an I, ad, she's an addict and I he's did forget enabling. momentarily the two voices. Yes. I believe one of the first calls was the husband warning Sam to stop yeah. looking, stop being a detective. And he probably got the yellow jacket to help out, just so he could protect his wife. Right. Yeah. Dang, we solved it. We solved the murder. Good job, Sam! <laughs> You didn't do anything. You just got trapped under a wall. And the detectives. There's two detectives. Yeah, and the detectives come in. Monica is not killed or anything. They simply, you know, put some cuffs on her. Throw her in the house. I'm sure they put her into an institution. Yeah. And Sam is alive. Julie is alive. In the very last scene of the film, there's a voiceover of this famous psychiatrist talking about Monica's condition. It's voiced over top of Julia and Sam on a plane heading back to America. Getting the F out of there. And then it's, oh my god, and then I did love where Sam totally burns the person who told him to go to Italy because nothing ever happens. He said, oh, the first person I'm going to see is my friend who said, go to Italy. Nothing ever happens there. There was, in my brain, another death that happened off screen. The painter... Uh, the cats revolted, heck and, yeah, and killed him. Yeah, they all got crazy. Out of their Theodore fl- was the that was that was they pushed the, him out of the uh, yeah. out of the building. They just eat him because they were hungry. They're like, we're gonna be fat now. <laughs> That's why I think uh, was the secret post credit scene that they forgot the film was he gets yeah, killed. They get revenge yes. on that cat they, revolution, and then, and then that would tie into Cat of Nine Tails. Because there's nine cats in there. Nine fat cats. (laughs) (laughs) You did it. (laughs) Wow, that was a lot to take in. Yes. Listeners, I hope you saw this movie before you listened to this episode. Yeah. Because a lot going on in that movie. We kind of made the movie better with our jokes. (laughs) And our our analysis. Analysis. Some of the later Argento films... There are big set pieces, and it kind of happens in bigger chunks, but this one, they're all over the place. Yeah. The theme that I really noticed with this film was perception and the unreliable eye. Dario Argento was quoted as saying, I've always thought that memory was deceptive. It can make you remember the wrong facts, because memory is filtered by our culture, the things we read, and the experiences we have. Yeah. It's the classic tell one story to someone and that story gets changed because mm-hmm. they remember certain parts of that and they, they, we have to fill in the blanks so they fill in their own blanks yeah it's based on what you remember it's not only the narrative structure of the bird with the crystal plumage that would set the standard for argento this film's themes of seeing and perception continue into almost all of his films almost obsessively Especially when it comes to storyboarding and the way he meticulously plans everything. He's obsessed with how the viewer sees the film, how the characters inside the film see things. (laughs) And Argento's films also include recurring themes of voyeurism and spectatorship and tend to focus more on mystery and suspense than the violence. 
I do think that the scenes of violence are very intimate with the extreme close-ups and the bright red blood, but I think that, especially with Jalo films, it's a mystery. It's a thriller, so I think that it's more focused on the mystery than the violence. I agree. In Crystal Plumage, we question what exactly Sam did see in that art gallery. In Deep Red, our protagonist doesn't even realize what he saw in the beginning of the film. He saw the killer's face. In Tenebrae, Argento shows us the killer. We know who the killer is. We have met him. We may not know that he's doing the murders, but we know who he is. The movie and the killings appear to be over, but the killings don't stop. Yeah, this one was it was the idea of the woman is always the damsel in distress. The white is the good and the black is the bad. And you flipped it. Mm-hmm. You flipped it on its head and now it's like... The woman is not the victim. She is actually the one that's killing. And it's the idea of, like, this is the perception. Argento tries to be progressive. Yes. You know, he includes gay characters, trans characters. Oh, we forgot to mention the... During the trans... <laughs> the lineup. <laughs> during the trans line, not the pervert lineup. The lineup that's in the I very said. beginning when they brought out maybe the killers, the lineup <clears throat> the perverts. of killers. Oh, like, my No, gosh. she's supposed to be in the trans. He's like, yeah, I, was, I told pervert. him that. I told him that. <laughs> yeah. He really is being inclusive, but I do get the classic tropes of she's all dressed in white and she's virginal. There's no way she would be the killer. One of the more fun aspects of Crystal Plumage is related to its theme of perception versus reality. Sam, the main character, and the audience both see a vital clue. They know that they have seen it, but they do not know what they have seen. There are so many flashbacks of that scene in this movie. You've seen it, but you don't know that you see this little bit of misinformation. Argento plays with Sam's perception and the viewer's perception of the key attempted murder scene, allowing us to witness it multiple times via flashback. It is only in the end, once Sam and the viewers have abandoned their assumptions about the situation, that they are able to figure out just what exactly is going on. So cool. Yeah, I love that flip. Yeah. You don't see, It's a good twist. I think that's what saves the movie for me. Because the movie's like, that's oh, just a normal giallo film. There's like cool things in there. But the twist is what really ties it together to me. Even the title is sort of misleading because... Much like many Jalo films, the title doesn't exactly correlate what happens in the movie. So you think that the bird portion is going to be way more important than it actually is. And it's such a little small sliver of what brings that confession to light. And then the actual... It's the clue. Killer. Yeah. It's the smallest clue in the mystery. And you would think but that it's the, the most title. important. It's the most important, like... I don't know why I'm referencing Ace Ventura uh, when nature calls, but when he finds the bat guano and it's a specific bat, he realizes, oh, it's this. It's such a stupid clue, but it's an important clue. Definitely. This movie and many Argento films like Tenebrae and Deep Red, they're all about perception and the unreliable eye or even the unreliable narrator. Sometimes you see flashbacks that aren't real. It's not really what happens. Yes. I'm sure in this film, some of the flashbacks were filmed from a different angle where it does look like Alberto was actually stabbing He's a writer. his wife. He fantasized into different things. This brings us to flavor of the month. Yes. Our theme of perception in the unreliable eye or the unreliable narrator. What did you want to suggest to listeners this month? Um, okay, so I have one, I have two unreliable narrators. I have uh, a movie called Detour, which is a Criterion film that we did on Criterion Connection on my YouTube show. It's a classic, unreliable narrator. He's telling the story of how he got into this trouble. And there's things where, like, is it true? Is it not? Then I have a Tales from the Crypt episode. You always come prepared with that. I had to. This one is a very different... It's not an unreliable one, but I, I had to do this one. It's one of my favorite Tales from the Crypt episodes. It's from season one. I think it's episode three. It is Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. It's got Joey Pants, Pantoliano. Yeah. They kill a cat, so he gets nine lives. He's doing his final trick. He's like, I'm going to tell this, and he's basically narrating the whole thing. You know he's a, he's a slime ball. So he narrates it to be very favorable for him. But for unreliable eye, like perception, I have three movies. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm... There's a lot of flavor going on right now. Uh, one is Memento. 
Christopher Nolan film that's always playing with you. Little clues are always important. Mulholland Drive, David Lynch, my favorite David Lynch movie. That movie, halfway through, flips you. Like, you think one thing and it just totally changes the entire movie. It's so yeah, good. Yeah, I've suggested that as a flavor of the month in one of the previous episodes. So good. So, obviously, listeners, have also, watched Mulholland Drive. Also, here's an owl left corner one. Saw. The original Saw film. That's a good one. Like the first scene with the key in the bathtub. Boom. And of course the, the big old, well there's something in the bathroom that's very important. It's a clue. It's a clue. And I'll leave it at that. So mine were very different flavors of the month. Very different. So I'll give you five things. Detour. It's from 1945. Tales from the Crypt. Uh, Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. From season one. Mulholland Drive. Memento. And Saul. Awesome. Lots of flavor. Yes. My flavor of the month picks are all about perception. I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm just going to give you the basics of these films. We have High Tension from 2003. It's a French horror film. Haven't seen it. It's also under Halt Tension, French. Thank you. Frailty from 2001. It's an American horror film directed by and starring Bill Paxton. He's the best. But yes, Frailty from 2001. Watch that. And then I also have a David Lynch film on mine. Really? Yep. Lost Highway from 1997. I've never seen it. So Lost but it's Highway. But it's in my queue. Definitely unreliable narrator, much like many David Lynch films. Unreliable narrative. Unreliable timeline. Just unreliable. Isn't Bill Pullman the main character in that? He is. It's Bill Pullman and Patricia Arquette. Both great talents. Right yeah, there. and it's a neo-noir film. And it's in the 90s, so they were kind of like in their peak. peak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, I gotta see this movie. Yeah, so I have three. So High Tension, Frailty, and Lost Highway. I don't believe you've seen any of them. I've never seen any of those. So, three. there you go. That's, Triple feature. I gotta watch that. Well, this is Flavor of the Month. It's supposed to be a feature to watch with this. So now I got a quadruple feature. <laughs> what a jam-packed episode. Yes. Thank you for being here. Is there anything that you want to plug while you're here? I have a lot. Let's do it. This past week on Make a Dish Podcast, we're doing a Metallica sound check. What sound check is a little thing we do where we listen to entire discography and then we discuss the albums and then we rank them on our favorites. And it's three of us doing three separate rankings of the Metallica discography. And boy, the mid 90s really go down there real quick. Ride um, that lightning, y'all. Yeah, uh, ride that lightning, y'all. <laughs> um, for the injustice for all. Yeah. So it's black. <laughs> then you have to load and then reload. We're not going to oh, talk about geez. those two. Uh, we also have uh, a short called Laugh Till You Die. We have a lot of short films on our Vimeo. Vimeo.com slash Condition Productions. Right. That is Vimeo.com slash Condition Productions. Or if you're not big on the Vimeo and you use the YouTube, it's YouTube.com slash, you guessed it, Mint Condition Productions. Right. And your short was actually recently nominated yes. for some awards, wasn't we it? We were nominated. Uh, we This is actually the third festival that has nominated us. Right now, we got nominated for from the Independent Horror Movie Awards, their spring catalog. There, we were nominated for Best Writing and Best Original Concept. Now, we did not win these categories, but you know what? It's just an honor for to be yeah. recognized yeah, congratulations. and nominated. If anything, please watch it. You know, we got a good amount of people watching it, but please watch it and share it if you like it. It's only nine minutes and it's free. I have at Suede Guy, which is or it's my Instagram. I post a lot of vinyl stuff, so please follow that. My letterboxed Suede MCP. I'm new to letterbox still. Uh, so follow me and we can have fun. We can like stuff and I'll like your reviews and stuff like, you know, interaction. Um, yeah, we need interaction and with this, this current... Yeah. climate of everyone being stuck in their house. And I only two more plus. My Twitter, Frank and Suede. Just follow me on Fridays. Friday nights for Last Drive and with Joe Bob Briggs. I'm having so much Live fun with it. Live tweeting's fun. So much fun with it. The last thing is, I have a comic book that... I have physical, so if you want to just hit me up on social media and I can get you a physical comic if you like. But digital, um, we just put it up on spinwizcomics.com. Just search Black Raven. Why I'm plugging this is because I am going to give a large percentage, about 50% of all proceeds to some local comic book shops around the area. They're in time and need. They're closed. And also, Diamond Comics is not shipping out. 
because of, you know, social distancing, you should. But sadly, they're, you know, they need to make that money. So please buy some comics. There's only like four or five dollars on there. I, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to take a little tirade here. Okay. Uh, it's not is, this, a, is this a Joe Bob rant? It's not a tirade. Anyway, back to the movie. <laughs> anyway. So, so we're doing, <laughs> but this is like something that, like, speaking of the comic books and the current situation in the world, there's a lot of struggling businesses, there's yeah. struggling venues and movie theaters. Local theaters. And now. small businesses. Yeah. yeah, small businesses. If there's anything digital tip jar. Now, obviously, if you're one of those people that got furloughed and you don't, you, you know, you need every penny, I understand. But if you are still working from home and like me, like you spend your money on a lot of stuff outside, but now you're not spending a lot of money because, you know, there's nothing to do. Please donate. We don't. I've donated to the Parkway Theater in Baltimore because they are doing a lot of things. They hosted Maryland Film Festival, which sadly got postponed or, or be shown virtually the Audubon Maryland you know in Baltimore I'm going to donate to that basically any local businesses or any small business because we don't know how long this is going to be this might be this month that this might be another five months but we got to keep these places alive or then we're going to deal with corporate America am I right punk rockers rock and roll <laughs> let's help out these people if you have the money and the means do some good yeah, I second that. Definitely support small businesses, movie theaters, restaurants, bars, barbershops, hair salons. If there's someone that you love that's struggling, just reach out and see if they have a virtual tip jar. Anything you can yes. do to help. Speaking of that, I do have two small businesses that very much support this podcast. So our logo design is by Vegan Patches on Instagram. You can find Matt's Etsy shop at Retirement Funds. Etsy is a great spot to find small businesses and support them. So go to Matt's shop. It's at Retirement Fund. I will plug this in the episode description. And then another small business that is extremely helpful for this podcast is our theme music. It's by Dream Division. And you can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. Dream Division has merch, vinyl records, <gasps> cassettes, t shirts. Go to dreamdivision.bandcamp.com and support Dream Division by making some, a purchase. I'm buying some vinyl tonight so I can put my record player in here. Dun dun. <laughs> dun dun. You can hear dun, the dun. theme music. Yes. Amazing. So you can follow the podcast, Jollo of the Month Club, on Twitter and Instagram at Jollo Club. You can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Diana NK. That's all I have, and I just want to reiterate, please support your small businesses. Times are extremely weird right now, and every little bit counts. Please help if you can. Yes. And I love seeing the outpour of support for this podcast, of the people voting. You know, if you vote, that means you're going to do more of these down the road. So, I mean, what should you do? Like you said, you have all the plugs that she gave you, you should not just follow them, you should share them. As always, I'm your host, Diana. And I'm Wade. Till next time. Ciao.